Um, before I get started this morning, let me just tell you that, you know, I know, I know life can be tough and uh, sometimes life is just a challenge and maybe this week you've been beat up, uh, not, not physically, but, but mentally and physically and spiritually, emotionally you've been beat up, you're, you're kind of bruised and tired and, and uh, you know, the world is just uh, at its way with you this week and, and man, you're just down and defeated. Can I tell you something? You're special to God. God loves you so much, and uh, He loves you so much that He sent His Son Jesus for you to change your life, and He can do that today. He can do that. This is a special place, uh, and uh, can I tell you, I love this church. It, can I, I just want to say that. I love Kavanaugh Church. It is a great place. Uh, I had the privilege the last couple of days to be uh, in, in Texas. <laughs> oh, boy. And... Uh, you know, it just, uh, boy, I go back down there and I just, man, I'm thinking, you know, this is just the, this is just almost in heaven, being in Texas. I know that's making some of you want to vomit right now, but uh, I'm a Texan through and through. I love the state of Texas. I, I just, you know, I'm proud to be a Texan. But, you know, I got to thinking about it on the way back and, and I thought, you know, I hate leaving Texas, but I love where I'm going. I love where I'm going. And it's not necessarily Arkansas Fort Smith. It's this place right here. And it's you. You're special people. I love you and God loves you. You know what? God has a word for you today. So let's find out what that word is. I've been preaching uh, last couple of weeks, last week, this week, and the next two weeks on the way of the cross. The preaching of the cross is what brings about deep spiritual change in a person's life. Church, did you hear me? It is the preaching of the cross and only the preaching of the cross that can bring about deep spiritual change in your life. That is our mission as a church. You know, sometimes as a church and even as individuals, we get sidetracked. We forget what our real mission and purpose in life is. And that is to preach the good news of the gospel. But sometimes we get off on these side issues. There's a great book that was written back in the 70s entitled Great Church Fights. Pretty interesting title, isn't it? Some of you could add a chapter or two to that book, I'm sure. Great Church Fights. It was written by Leslie Flynn, and he quotes the following in a news story about this feud that was going on in a small church. The, actually, the church was divided with two opposing groups. They were without a pastor, and so on a single Sunday, both groups called a prospective pastor to come preach. Think about that. <laughs> Here's what the article said. Yesterday, the two opposition groups both sent ministers to the pulpit. Both preachers spoke simultaneously, each trying to shout above the other. Yeah, it's hard enough to listen to just one preacher, isn't it? Okay, thank you. Come on, guys. Both of these two preachers called for hymns to be sung and the congregation sang two different hymns, each side trying to drown out the other. Bibles were raised in anger. The Sunday morning service turned into bedlam. Through it all, the two preachers continued to outshout each other with their own sermons. Eventually, a deacon called the police department Two policemen came in and began shouting the congregation to be quiet. They advised the 40 persons in the church to return home. 
the, the rivals filed out, still arguing. And then last night, one of the groups called for a let's be friends meeting. It broke up in an argument. <laughs> the newspaper article was headlined, Hallelujah, two jacks in the same pulpit. Yeah. You know, fortunately, not all church fights are as serious as this one. But some are leading to extreme ill will among believers and in some cases even the death and closure of the church. But you know what? Even relatively minor conflicts have the potential to disrupt church life and divert our attention and resources away from what God has called us to do. And that is to preach the way of the cross. And this is where we find the church at Corinth. They were in some serious trouble there. Threats to the health and the unity of the church were all around them. It was because they had abandoned the way of the cross. They had stopped trusting in the power of the message of the gospel and were instead trusting in the creativity and ingenuity of human logic rather than in the power of God to bring about change. So follow along with me as I read this interesting passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Paul asks, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Heavenly Father, I pray a blessing on the preaching of your word today. And even though many may think this is foolish, what we're doing here this morning, I know, dear Lord, that it is powerful. For this word that will be preached today has the power to change lives, to mend homes, to bring together families that are split, to cause revivals to break out in communities that are dead in sin. And so, dear Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that the blood of Jesus would change our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, listen. God's way to bring about deep spiritual change in your life is through the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God revealed in the way of the cross is, number one, unattainable through human logic. We spend a huge chunk of our lives just trying to gain knowledge. I've got two teenagers who are still in school. Zane's in the eighth grade. Callie's a junior in high school. Every day for eight hours, their teachers are trying to cram knowledge into their brains. And they, the teachers don't think that they're getting enough of it, so they'll send homework home with these kids to keep cramming that knowledge into their brains. 
Now, I really wish our teenagers were here today. They're, they're traveling back from Texas because I just lofted one up for them. Kids usually don't say an amen, but I bet they would have today. It, isn't it funny, though? I mean, we send our kids to school for the first, what, 20-plus years of their life, and other people are trying to cram knowledge into their head, and sometimes our kids just get to a point where they don't want it anymore. They're sick of it. Come on. You remember how it was. Or like me, when you're a teenager, you get to the point where you think you know it all. And you kind of push that knowledge back and reject it. Then you spend the rest of your life trying to absorb all the information and knowledge you can because now you're living in the real world and having to make a living, right? A little paradox there. It really wasn't even in my notes, but I felt like saying it, so. You know, knowledge is discovery. And it's interesting to discover new things. Do you enjoy that? I mean, I do. I, I like it when my brain expands and I learn something new, a new discovery that makes me feel good. Knowledge is discovery. And you know what? God always encourages that. He gave us our minds to use. And if you don't think your mind is important to God, you got another thing coming. In fact, the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God is not anti-intellectual. He created our intellect. Why? So that we could use it to explore truth and know Him. Therefore, we are naturally inquisitive. God has set us on a search to unravel and discover the millions of secrets that He has hidden in our universe. We are given the gift of reason to search these mysteries out, to investigate the realm of knowledge, to discover the laws of physics, to investigate the wonders of the human body in medicine, to discover the secrets of the stars in astronomy, to study and understand the workings of the human mind and the psyche and psychology. Now, God has put all of this out there for us to explore because His fingerprint is on all of it. And by creation, God reveals something of His character and His nature. And when we discover new things, we can see God. You know what? But most, most of the time, a lot of the time, intelligent people take that knowledge and they go in the exact opposite direction with it. They don't see God behind it all. Instead, they begin to think, now that we have all of this knowledge, we can solve all of our problems. Well, we know it doesn't work that way, does it? For centuries, man has concluded that with better education and better medicine and better technology, better this, better that, we can solve all our problems. But no, 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 and no. <laughs> we can't. Human knowledge is not the same as God's wisdom. Let that seek in just for a second. Human knowledge is not the same as God's wisdom. Human knowledge goes astray when it takes you down a road that is away from God's revealed truth and wisdom. And that's what Paul is talking about in verses 20 and 21. Sometimes I like to read the Bible out of the message. It, 
it, it kind of puts it in, into a modern language that helps me understand it better. Listen to how Peterson translates these two verses in the message. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all of its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in His wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb. Preaching of all things to bring those who trust Him into the way of salvation. The wisdom of man looks at the complex problems humans face and they say that the solution to our problems must be more education, better technology, better laws, bigger government, better medicine. But the wisdom of God looks at the complex problems that we face and says all of those solutions that you have come up with just put a band-aid on the real problem. Okay? And the whole key to my message is in the next sentence. So wake up, listen, but then don't fall back asleep, all right? Here is the key to the whole thing. All of man's wisdom is just like a band-aid trying to cover the real problem. What is the real problem? The real problem lies in the human heart. What's wrong with our world? What's wrong with man? The human heart. It's sinful. Above all things, it's unrighteous. And it can only be changed through the way of the cross. You want to have a better world, you've got to start with better people. The only way you can have better people is when they have a new heart. God is the only one who can change that heart. That means you have to accept God's verdict that we're all sinners and accept God's solution that our sins can only be forgiven through Christ. And that really doesn't compute with man's wisdom. Man's wisdom says... Uh, we need better technology, better science, better medicine, bigger... Then we can solve all our problems. God says, no, you're barking up the wrong tree. The wisdom of God says, you need a new heart. Man's wisdom versus the wisdom of God. A few years ago, Dan Rather interviewed a guy by the name of Jack Welch on 60 Minutes. Jack Welch was a former CEO and CE of General Electric. Um, he, uh, he was a best-selling author of a book called Winning. At the end of the interview, rather ask Welch, what's the toughest question you've ever been asked? Welch thought about it for a moment and he responded, well, I think it was when somebody asked me the question, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Rather ask him, what did what, you say? What, what answer did you give to that question? Welch replied, well, it's kind of a long answer that I gave, but the, the, the me main message I said was this, if, if, if caring about people... If giving your all, if being a great friend counts for anything, despite the fact that I haven't done everything right all the time, then I think I got a shot. But I don't want to find out anytime soon. And there you have man's wisdom and the wisdom of God. Paul said it like this in verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
Man's wisdom says, well, you know, those who even believe in heaven say, the way to get there is just be good. Do good things. Maybe at the end of life, if your good things outweigh your bad things, maybe then you'll get in. It just doesn't work that way. The only way you can get into my heaven is through Jesus Christ. The only way you can come to Christ is through faith in Him. The wisdom to live in a way that really works is not found within us. God has revealed it through what many call foolishness, and that is the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. The wisdom of God revealed in the way of the cross is, number two, unfashionable to human taste. Church, there's never really been a time when there have been more differing opinions as to what a church should or should not do as in this day and culture. There are conferences and seminars that tell you this and tell you that. Most of the time they're telling you what will work and what will not work today. And then a year later you have to go back for the new improved version of what's working now. But what God has called us to, dear Kavanaugh Church, is to not be necessarily culturally relevant. That may be a shocker, <laughs> but it's the truth. In other words, we don't have to be culturally relevant and politically correct in telling people what they want to hear. He's calling us in many respects to be counterculture. And let me tell you what I mean by that. As a church and as individuals, we must, number one, go to where people are. We've got to go to them. And number two, we've got to love them just the way they are. Even when they're different than we are and even when they're miserable sinners. God loves them just the way they are. He doesn't want them to stay that way. But we are to love them just the way they are. And then number three, we've got to tell them what God wants them to hear. Not what we think they want to hear or not what we want to tell them. But we must be faithful, most importantly, to tell them what God wants them to hear. And then watch the power of God work in their lives. Romans 1.16, Paul said it this way. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. The only power that is sufficient enough to change a human's life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And church, we must never grow weary in the assignment that God has given to us. Through every possible means, we must take the message of the gospel and the way of the Christ cross to our culture Interestingly, the church faced the same challenge that we do some 2,000 years ago. Look at verses 22 and 23. Your church, this is what you, we want you to give us. It's what they demanded. The Jews wanted the phenomenal and the spectacular. The Greeks wanted the philosophical and the rational. What did Paul give them? Not what they wanted. He gave them what he knew God wanted them to hear. And that is the truth of the gospel. What did he say in that verse? 
He said, we must preach Christ. Well, what were the responses? Yeah, kind of the same responses we get today from a lot of people. To the Jews, to the Jews it was a stumbling block. Because they were looking for something more spectacular. In fact, the word in verse 23 translated stumbling block is the word from which we get our word scandal or scandalous from. Really, it was an insult to them. The Jews wanted to see the spectacular. Things haven't changed in 2,000 years because many in our culture demand the same thing from us. But church, listen to me. We must not cave in to that pressure. Because as a church, we can easily fall into the trap of relying on something other than God's power to reach people. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's just foolishness. The gospel is foolishness to them. If I were translating that, if I was writing the Harmon version, I would say, to them it was crazy talk. Just crazy talk. Why? Because it didn't square with their human reasoning. It didn't make sense to them. To them, the cross was foolishness. It's crazy. They, if they were looking at us today and they walked by this church, they, they would think that what I'm doing is foolish. And they would think that what you're doing is double foolish because you're listening to my foolishness. Let me use this as an illustration. When Jesus told his disciples of his impending death, it was Peter who pulled Jesus aside and said, No way, Jesus. We're not going to let that happen to you. We're not going to let you go to the cross. Now, why, why did he say that? Because to Peter, it just didn't make sense. It was not logical for him. He couldn't process it mentally. I mean, how could Jesus save the world if he died on a cross? It really, does that make sense? It, it didn't in Peter's human logic and his reasoning. He said, no, Jesus, we're not going to let this happen to you. Do you remember how Jesus responded? He, he didn't just say, Peter, stop talking that way. No, Jesus got in Peter's grill. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. Because you only have in mind the ways of man, not the ways of God. You don't have in mind the ways of the cross. So to the world, this is foolishness. But we know otherwise. Church, listen, we know otherwise, don't we? We know otherwise. Because this message is unequaled by human power. I think anyone who seriously and honestly looks at the situation in most churches today would have to say there is a power crisis. Where is the power that transforms entire families? Where is the power that can change neighborhoods and cities and even nations? Where is the power that brings about deep spiritual change in the lives of people? Now, now Paul says it, it may be unfashionable to believe that God's Word works with that kind of power. But we know otherwise. Don't we? I mean, come on, church, let's get alive here. 
If you have had Jesus transform your life, you know what kind of power I'm talking about. He changes us from the inside out. He takes that old, cold, stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. He changes our perspective, the way we look at things, the way we relate to other people. The Bible says we have become a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. That is power. You were headed down the road to hell, to destruction. But the power of God has changed that direction. To the world, this is foolishness. But to those of us who have been saved, it is the power of God. And it's changed our lives. It's the cross. It is the cross of Jesus that can bring about deep spiritual change in humans' lives. It's the only thing that can change us. So what does all that mean? I mean, how does this apply to us today in our lives? Well, think of it like this. Across the street or down the street is a neighbor who, as far as you know, never goes to church, has never expressed much interest in spiritual things. Does God want you to bake some cookies and take over to them just to be friendly? Sure He does. Does God want you to babysit their kids while they go to a doctor's appointment? Yes, He does. You know what? Sooner or later, you've got to let them hear about the way of the cross. That's where the power to change comes from. And if your lost neighbor is going to be saved and their lives are going to be transformed, guess who's going to tell them? It's got to be you. Down the hall from you at work, there's a secretary who's going through a nasty divorce. Her husband has committed adultery and left her. Does God want you to be a friend to her and listen to her as she pours out her broken heart? Absolutely. You know what? Sooner or later, you've got to let her hear about the way of the cross. That's where the power to change comes from. Your business associate is an alcoholic. Their life is a complete mess. Do you help them get into a 12-step program or bring them up to our church to celebrate recovery? Sure you do. You know what? Sooner or later, you've got to let them hear about the way of the cross. Because that's where the power to change comes from. You become acquainted with a family from the poorest part of town. Their needs are almost overwhelming. Do you help them find a job? Do you help them get groceries? Sure you do. But sooner or later, you've got to let them hear about the way of the cross. Why? Well, that's where the power to change comes from. Your golfing buddy's got it all. Money, nice house, sweet car. But their life is empty. You know it, they know it. Do you continue to build a relationship with them? Do you, do you try to become better friends? Certainly you do. But you know what? Sooner or later, you've got to let them hear about the way of the cross. Because that's where the power to change comes from. Do we get it? What about you? I mean, you're sitting here today. Maybe your life is broken. 
Maybe you see your world crumbling and falling apart all around you. Things haven't gone the way you planned them to go. Your marriage is a wreck. Kids are in rebellion. You hate your job. There's a certain addiction in your life that nobody else knows about. And you keep going back to that thing that's destroying you. Could be your finances. Could be your health. I mean, it could be any one of a zillion things. And you're sitting here today and you're just a little bit overwhelmed. You've, you've tried to fix it on your own. You've processed it out. You've done everything you know how to do mentally to fix the problem. But you can't fix it. I'm just going to reaffirm, you can't. You can't fix the problem. Because it's deeper. But God can fix the problem. God can fix the problem. And this may sound like foolishness to the world, but I think you know, God can fix the problem. Through the foolishness of what I'm preaching to you, there is power in Jesus. There is power in the blood of the Lamb. And if you allow His blood to come into your life and cover your heart, your life can be changed. So why don't you come to Him today? He loves you. He died for you. And He wants to help you today. Heavenly Father, I pray that my friends here today would have the courage to come to You. To bring their lives, their problems, to the cross of Christ. And allow Your power to change them. Lord, there's someone here today that just needs to be saved. May they come and receive your salvation. For other believers who just need to come and pray, Lord, I pray that they have that freedom to come and do that here. Then, dear Lord, for the rest of us who have friends and family members and people that we rub shoulders with every day who need you, Lord, help us to come and pray for the boldness that we need to share with them the way of the cross. For it's the only power that can change lives. Have your way in our lives and do something amazing in this service. Where we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask.